Hey there, fellow foodies. This is Dr. Quave, and you're listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. Today on the show, I have my wonderful colleague and friend, Dr. Sharon Bergquist. She is a nationally recognized lifestyle medicine pioneer. She, she's a practicing internist with over two decades of patient-centered clinical experience, and she's also a scientist whose work focuses on developing early predictors of disease and healthy aging. That's something I can get behind. I think we all want to age a little bit healthier. Um, she's also an advocate for advancing healthcare through integrating lifestyle medicine, resiliency, and prevention-based science into clinical care. Um, as far as her title goes, she is the Pam R. Rollins Professor of Medicine at Emory University School of Medicine here in Atlanta, and she's also the founder and director of the Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. Um, Sharon earned her Bachelor of Science from Yale and her medical degree from Harvard. Um, she completed her internship and residency at Harvard's Brigham and Women's Hospital. She's the host of the Whole Health Cure podcast and co-author of this fabulous new cookbook called Plantology, a cookbook based on the science of plant-based eating. And I've been looking through this and there are lots of amazing recipes I'm sure we're going to dive into um, during the episode. So, so great to see you, Sharon. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So why don't we start by um, telling us a little bit about the book that just came out? Yeah. So the, the book has been a long time coming. It was really inspired by a lot of the clinical work that I and my co-author, who's a dietitian at Emory, we work alongside each other, um, created. We found ourselves talking to our patients a lot about plant-based eating, the benefits for health and longevity, and over time, we just put together everything we are telling our patients and some of our favorite recipes in a format that we could share it and, and hopefully have other people benefit from all the, you know, tremendous ways that plant-based eating can make you feel better, feel healthier. Um, so we are excited to share that. That's great. Well, as a as a as a practicing physician and someone who treats, I'm guessing a lot of people with kind of chronic um, chronic disease disease that's associated with SAD, the you know American diet, <laughs> the standard American diet, which I think SAD is just the right term for it. <laughs> it's a SAD diet in so many ways. How how do you how do you use food to help empower your patients to get onto the right the right path for 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 wellness and and resiliency? Yeah. And I think, you know, the first step is, is really just appreciating the role that food plays in health. Um, I think that we talk about food as well as lifestyle, but how to incorporate that into our, you know, well-being and into our everyday habits is something that we all struggle with. Um, you know, we know the power of lifestyle. We know 80% of chronic disease can be preventable with really pretty simple measures, right? Just eat a healthy diet, get physical activity, avoid tobacco and excess alcohol, maintain your body weight. Yet less than 10% of Americans, and that's a generous estimate, are actually able to do all four. So a large part of what we help our patients do is just move the needle. Like nobody has a perfect lifestyle. I don't. I would be a complete hypocrite if I pretended I did everything mm -hmm. right all the time. 
but the goal is just to do a little bit better. And there's just so much room for just shifting a little what's on our plate, a little bit more activity, that if we can just all do that and make little incremental changes, this works in a dose benefit kind of response. So a lot of medicines, um, the higher the dose, the greater the benefit. And eating plant-based food and exercise for that matter work very similarly. So the idea is let's just increase the dose of the good stuff. I like that, increasing the dose of the good stuff. That's great. Well, maybe we could touch on how diet plays into the different elements of health. So we have physical health, we have mental health. Um, Does diet also affect our mental health and how we feel? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. Because when people think of diet and health, they think, okay, if I forego all these things I love, maybe... 20, 30 years from now, there may be less heart disease, or I may live a few years longer. And they think of it as a give a lot today, benefit a lot many, many, many years from now. Mm-hmm. And, and really, um, that's just not motivating for a lot of people. Yeah. But the symptoms, the day-to-day effect that diet has on health is really um, what I think is underemphasized. So absolutely food plays a role in mental health and not just mental disorders like anxiety, depression, and ADHD, but in your mood, in your creativity, right? You don't have to be warding off mental illness. There have been studies that show within the same week on a day-to-day basis, there's a correlation between plant-based eating um, versus processed foods and anything from how meaningful you um, pursue your you know, thoughts and processes that day to your creativity, your critical thinking. So it's the day-to-day, your energy, the mood that I think gets you kind of hooked. Like you just have to have this belief that it's going to make a difference. Try it. And once you do, you can't go back because you feel so much different and so much more energized. No, I, I 100% agree. I've definitely been on on periods where, again, not a perfect follower of, 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 of a good diet. I, I really try to. Um, but there are days where, yeah, I, especially when I'm traveling, I have a lot of fast food and, man, or processed food. And I do feel sluggish and tired and just drained. And getting back on fresh vegetables, a nice salad, Fruit, it, it does it does make me immediately feel better, at least. I don't know if that's placebo or <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I feel the physical effects, it seems like. Yeah. Yes, definitely real. Um, if it were placebo, I would be figuring out how to make a donut have the same effect. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> that's great. Well, um, why don't you tell me or share with us a little bit about how do you how do you counsel patients to start to make these changes? Because I think it's one thing to say, okay, go forth and eat a plant-based diet. But it sounds simple, but I know from experience it's not always an easy thing to do. A lot of people perhaps don't have the cooking skills or even know where to start in terms of recipes, especially if you're used to eating a lot of kind of prepackaged or frozen foods. So how do you get folks to start on the path or what, what seems to have worked so far? 
Yeah. So I'll start off by saying there's a lot of misconception around what we're trying to accomplish when we're eating plant-based. Um, so I'll start off with saying what plant-based does not. Um, so plant-based does not mean you have to entirely eliminate any food group, right? Even um, a diet that includes meat and poultry can be plant-based. The emphasis really that you know, I encourage for my patients is to have more plants as the star of your dietary pattern. Um, so it's focused more on what you're trying to include than what you're trying to remove or restrict. Mm. Okay. So, so with the goal being that we're trying to add more plant-based food, and by plant-based food, I mean not just fruits and vegetables, but whole grains, nuts and seeds, legumes, spices, um, anything that is essentially plant of or you know plant origin. Um, and a simple place to start is let's look at what's on our plate now. So if you look at the American plate, and this is data from um, uh, you know a lot of uh, studies that capture this um, from like just national databases. Our plate right now has about sixty percent processed food. And the amount that's coming from fruits and vegetables is around 8%. So the simplest place to start is just add more fruits and vegetables. Um, and it could be not you know, necessarily taking the place of anything, but just start thinking about how can I just get one more serving of any fresh fruit or vegetable? I think that's one really simple place to start. And another thing I really encourage my patients to do is think about what is a portion size. So when we get a typical entree at a restaurant here in the United States, the focus of the entree is on, say, the, the protein, if you will. Like typically it's, you know, you order a chicken dish, it's a big piece of chicken and then a little side salad. And a serving of chicken is a deck of cards. I mean, it's like three ounces. So typically what you're getting served is many servings um, of the chicken. And what you're getting underserved is the amount of vegetables that you need. You know, your goal is to have half your plate be vegetables. And so another way that I think is pretty easy to start making a shift is just change the proportion. So have more of the fruits or vegetables and just a little less of the meat. So just flip your plate. Uh, so salad with a garnish of chicken instead of chicken with a side salad. I really like that. Flip your plate. That's it. That's great. And I think, I think that's a much more approachable way to think about um, a healthier diet because, you know, becoming fully vegan or fully vegetarian can be an intimidating process. But I like this idea of kind of flipping the starring roles of the different characters that do show up on your plate. Um, I want to talk a little bit about diabetes also, because this, I think, ties into this concept of flipping the plate. There was a recent um, study that was released and also covered on the global media about how refined carbohydrates, global consumption of refined carbohydrates and a lot of red meats, it seems to be tied to driving up higher and higher rates of type 2 diabetes. Um, for 
Is there a reason that folks should be worried or concerned about type 2 diabetes? What are the risk factors and kind of when do you know this is time to really make a change? Because, you know, I'm wondering how many of us are out there that could be pre-diabetic on these diets. Um, I'm just looking for, I don't know how to say this, but what's going to be the alarm bell? We want to, we want to get the alarm before it gets to the stage of, of actually developing type two diabetes. Right. So, so I think this is such a great question because there's not a single week in clinic where I don't have at least a dozen people quote, newly diagnosed um, with usually prediabetes before diabetes. Mm-hmm. And the type of diabetes I should start by uh, clarifying is type 2 diabetes, um, which is about 95% of diabetes. Um, type 1 has a different etiology, um, and it's about 5% of people. But type 2 is by and large driven by insulin resistance. And the foods that you mentioned, the processed carbohydrates in these saturated fats that are abundant in our SAD diet, those are the foods that are the underlying drivers of insulin resistance. When we find a blood sugar that is in pre-diabetic range, the process of insulin resistance has already been taking place for years. So even though I put you know new diagnosis in quotes, the reason is this is not really a new diagnosis. This is the end stage of your pancreas no longer being able to compensate for insulin resistance. So when insulin resistance occurs, your pancreas, which is the organ that makes insulin, for years compensates by just making more insulin. But there's only so long your pancreas can work in overdrive. And when it starts to peter out, then there's no longer the compensation for blood sugar being elevated, and you start to see a pre-diabetic range blood sugar. Um, So I would encourage people to not wait until they get told they have prediabetes to start to make changes at far earlier stages. And, you know, for people who actually want to get insulin levels tested and measure insulin resistance, that is something that labs are capable of doing. Um, But I think, you know, again, if you're following a plant-based diet, you're not only going to prevent that, but you are also going to prevent all the other diseases that typically travel with diabetes because the underlying cause is very similar of multiple chronic diseases. Yeah, that's that's such a good point. Um, there's a course that we teach in our undergraduate program in human health, and it's called Many Diseases, Few Causes. And it's based on this idea of, you know, a lot of our chronic or lifestyle diseases that are attributed to diet, but also other environmental exposures. Um, yeah, there are very few causes. It has to do with inflammation, oxidative stress, you know, um, immune dysfunction. We're seeing also, um, you know, unfortunate rises in, in immune dysfunction, especially as you age. I mean, it's, it, it, you get to higher and higher risk. So I think that it's important that people recognize that your diet is actually really important. I think it's just really underestimated how important the diet is to your health and um, not just now, but, you know, well into the future. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and that's been studied just so well. I mean, there the role of diet in health, I'll tell you the probably the largest um, one of the largest studies we have to date is the Global Burden of Disease Study, which looked at diet in 195 countries over a span of 27 years. And in that study, they found that diet is the biggest risk factor for the chronic diseases that we're talking about, more than physical inactivity, more than tobacco, um, more than you know, excess alcohol. So we're talking that the number one cause that we are getting epidemic rates of these chronic diseases is actually in our control. It is entirely modifiable. Well, I think the idea of control is an interesting point. And I'll, I'll bring this up because at least in, in our household, I've gotten to the point where I really try to avoid the grocery store, our classic supermarket, as much as possible. Because anything in the inner aisles of the grocery store is laden with refined carbohydrates, uh, corn syrup, um, unhealthy saturated fats. Um, and so there's really nothing in the middle aisles that I can safely eat <laughs> if I'm really trying to make a change. And so I've, you know, we're, we're trying this right now in our house just to go to, uh, it's a, it's a larger kind of ethnic market that has a you know, primarily just fresh produce and, and meats and vegetables and cheese and things like that. And it makes shopping a bit easier because I'm not as anxious about getting down, <laughs> getting down those aisles. Um, but I think that's also something that, yes, we have choice, but not everyone has access to affordable fresh produce. Um, and this has to do a lot with, you know, the, the economic, um, the economic situation in which our farm bill in the U.S. places us in, because we heavily subsidize corns and refined carbohydrates that basically um, drive this epidemic of diabetes and other chronic disease, um, but we don't have similar types of subsidies for healthy food. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, because it's almost like we're, at least in my in my feeling, that I have to go counterculture to be healthy in America. Um, I wonder what your perspective is there. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly something you have to do with effort. I think the default is no question to have, you know, what we're calling our standard American diet, which is not healthful. I think there are a couple of things. So first of all, I think it's great that you don't go to these middle aisles. And then for anyone who does walk into a grocery store, just shopping the perimeter um, is a really nice way to try and accomplish the same if there isn't a local farmer's market or anywhere else that you can get fresh produce. In terms of making plant-based diets work for you, make them affordable, um, first of all, they the foods have to be delicious. Um, they have to fit your preferences, your customs, so you have a lot of leeway and flexibility, okay? So there's not one diet that is the only path to health. Um, in fact, if you look at some of the healthiest dietary patterns, be it, you know, paleo, Mediterranean, the common theme is whole food, like you just said, avoid the processed and mostly plant-based. If you walk into a grocery store, 
and you're looking to make it affordable, I think some of the ways to do that are to pick the components of a plant-based diet that are extremely inexpensive. Um, beans, lentils, for example, you can get a bag of beans that you can boil um, and make a meal with, say, a, a whole grain um, that you can also buy in a bag that's fairly affordable, whole grains being farro, quinoa, when you buy them in their state unprepared, they're incredibly inexpensive. I mean, for under a dollar, you can make a meal with green grains and with, um, you know, just a good healthy protein, be lentils, any kind of legume. And then to add the fruit or vegetable, either look what's in season. There's usually some special on um, what fruit and vegetable that you know, grocery store or farmer's market may be um, kind of having as their focal weekly item or go to the frozen section. So frozen fruits and vegetables have very similar nutrient content to fresh. So don't feel locked in that you have to get fresh. When a food is frozen, it's usually flash frozen at the peak of ripeness um, sometimes you actually get better tasting fruit when it's frozen because of that. And when you buy fruit that is fresh, oftentimes there's a lot of nutrients that are lost in the transport process. So from the time that fruit is taken off the vine, it no longer has a nutrient source. It has to use itself for energy. So the nutrient content of that fruit is decreasing the more days it is separated from the, the actual um, root that it was giving it its nourishment. So there's some loss of nutrients, whether you're getting fresh or frozen. And at the end of the day, they're fairly comparable. So go to the frozen section, get a you know, bulk bag, and oftentimes things are cheaper if you get a big giant bag of broccoli frozen. And you always have something in your home, in your freezer, in your pantry. If you get bags of beans, bags of grains and fruits and vegetables in your freezer. Um, and that can be your go-to if you don't get a chance to go to a local market or you have to drive far away to have access to one. That's, that's such great advice. <laughs> and I, I definitely... I agree on the frozen, the frozen stuff and the beans. That's yes. I think, I think that's another misconception many people have is that to eat a plant forward diet or plant-based diet, that it's going to be very, very expensive and require a garden and land to do that. And it doesn't, you're absolutely right. And, um, I always keep frozen spinach and frozen berries, um, in the freezer because it's just easy in a pinch. And I'm a huge fan of Instapots. I don't know for, for pressure cooking because I think one of the other challenges that at least we face, and I'm, I'm sure many others, is that I don't always have a lot of time to spend in the kitchen. So I love any kind of recipe that can get started in the Instant Pot, turn it on and walk away. And, you know, lentils and um, all these, you know, whole grains, these are all great um, in the Instant Pot for sure. Very easy to make. I'm a big fan of Instapots and, and kind of in the same boat, you know, we both work full time and we've got kids and we've got a lot of after hours work related tasks. So finding time is, is always a challenge and getting a healthy meal on the table every night is, is quite hard. I mean, there's a lot of 
planning and effort that can go into meal preparation. Um, but we always have, you know, frozen fruit smoothies are a huge item in our kitchen. Um, and with, you know, there's some shortcuts you can take that are okay as well. Um, there are now a lot of whole grains that are cooked that are microwavable. I mean, these bags are fairly healthy and it is okay to take these shortcuts if you need to. Um, canned are another way to get beans if you don't have time to cook the beans, which does take time. Um, you know, you can, some of them have salt, so getting salt free or low salt or rinsing them out to reduce the salt would be helpful. Um, but you can take these shortcuts or if you're going to cook grains, batch cook them, like cook an extra amount and then freeze the extra for later or put it in your refrigerator and use it in multiple meals like, you know, school cafeterias did when we were in elementary school and <laughs> the same ingredients show yeah. up in different It's like, meals. hey, I recognize that. Wasn't that from Tuesday? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, batch cooking. There's lots of great books out there also on batch cooking, how to kind of prep different meals using some, you know, for the week so you can plan out and have a healthy meal. Um, I think you're absolutely right. We can save money and have a, a healthier diet in those ways. Um, well, as, as we get closer to wrapping up, I do want to take a look into the book and maybe you can tell us a little bit about its structure now, I know some of this was also inspired by work that you did um, with an education program at Emory. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, one of you know my passions is trying to incorporate healthier eating in the healthcare space. Um, so creating programs has been one of the ways we've tried to do that because to get people to make a change. I mean, we all struggle with this. It has to be comprehensive, right? It, it's, there's mental health components. I mean, there's a lot of stress eating that people do. Um, I think there's a lot of synergy between eating well and physical activity. So we've tried to create more comprehensive programs because you can't just tell someone eat healthy when you're not looking at the larger context of their life and trying to get to well, what you know, what are the reasons, what are the obstacles? So that's been the impetus behind the programs we've created. And when we wanted to structure healthy eating for people, which we did in the cookbook, probably the biggest premise is helping people define what's healthy. Mm. We use the term all the time. And most of my patients, if I ask them, do you think you eat a healthy diet? Most say, well, of course, yeah, I eat healthy most of the time. If you look at studies on how well people do when they rate how healthy their diet is, well, we don't do as well. So a study that came out last year asked 9,700 people whether you know how they rate their diet, excellent, very good, on down to poor. And they gave people 24-hour food frequency questionnaires. These are questionnaires that actually objectively measure the different food components. And when they compared the two, 85% of people overestimated how healthy their diet was. Okay, so almost nine out of 10 people would think their diet is healthy. It's not as healthy as you think it is. <laughs> well, I feel so like then, we're, we're tricked though too in some ways because so many products are marketed as healthy. Look at, you know, kefir or yogurts with, you know, that have fruit flavoring. They're loaded with sugar, you know, loaded. So it's like 
on one hand, I say, well, I'm eating something healthy, but am I? It's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think probably the best defense we have against this marketing is whole food. Mm-hmm. And that's the premise behind the cookbook, right? Because yeah. once food is processed, it's so hard to know what are these ingredients. And then you have to read every label and decipher, you know, what's the nutritional content. You don't have to do that with whole food. Mm-hmm. And to structure how much of each whole food, there are a lot of categories, as we mentioned, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, and seeds, legumes. We created a checklist. How many servings of each do you need to have every day or at least aim to have every day? What is the serving size of each? And then we divided the cookbook by category. So if you need to get three checks Mm -hmm. in the vegetable category, well, here's some recipes based on vegetables and you can, you know, organize it that way. The interesting thing is when you think about food as, am I getting enough of the good stuff? Am I getting my check boxes? You break out of the mold of needing to think about food as what's a breakfast food, what's a lunch food, what's a dinner food. You can have a smoothie for dinner. You can have, you know, a a big grain bowl for breakfast. It doesn't matter. The focus is really get delicious food that supports your health and longevity and makes you feel better. Um, So that's really how we structured it. Most cookbooks are here are breakfast you know, items, here are desserts. And you're much more interested in having people just get enough of the good stuff. Well, I I can jump on board for that. I'm I'm having a pseudo healthy lunch right now. I've got some cheese and apple and strawberries. (laughs) So I went kind of on the sweeter side for, uh, um, so I need to get more vegetables and beans and grains next time. But (laughs) yeah. Sounds like you got at least two checks on that lunch. I got two checks. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Two checks. I'll take it. Well, Sharon, I always like to ask our guests, is there is there one simple recipe you could share with us just just for the listeners um, to give them a little teaser for the book? Like what's a what's a fun favorite recipe that that you have in the book? Yeah. One that's always a hit in our household and I'll say that I have three children. So this is um, kid tested. Yes. Is um, <laughs> making chocolate chip cookie dough with using whole grains and using beans. Um, So we have a recipe in there for a chocolate chip cookie dough that is entirely based on using whole grains, um, fresh applesauce. It has beans, chickpeas in particular. And it is amazing to me how it tastes so similar. And you've taken, you know, instead of a refined processed you know, flour, you're now using a whole grain, you have no um, sugars that are usually put into chocolate chip cookies, you've converted the fat into healthy fats. So I love recipes like that, that take what we all love, these classics, and then they substitute really healthy ingredients. And it's remarkable how little you notice a difference in taste and how much benefit you gain from a health standpoint. That's amazing. Oh, that sounds super tasty too. <laughs> That's great. Well, um, where can folks find your book at, Sharon? I know it just came out um, recently this spring. So um, in bookstores and on your website? Um, 
If, well, you can um, do several things from the website. There's a link to ordering it. Um, Amazon's probably the easiest place. Um, we can um, you can find it there in hardback, paper cover, as well as the ebook version off of Amazon. On my website, if you put in your um, confirmation you can get a free download guide that helps with meal planning and how to get started on a plant-based diet. Um, so I would encourage people who get the book to get the free download because it's a really nice, just quick starter, organizes your week to try and make the process easier. That's great. I mean, it's it's always helpful to have um, a starting you know kickoff point for meal planning. And folks, you can find that at, um, it's at drsharonbergquist.com. Um, is the website for those that are tuning in today. Well, thank you so much, Sharon. This has been fun. I've learned more. I, I've, I'm about to see, you know, what other check marks I can take off today. And I like this idea of, of mixing up the meals because, you know, I've, I've, I just tend to skip breakfast sometimes because I don't like the very sugary cereals and things. And so maybe I can find some other, other healthier options um, from the book. <laughs> 